0: We've had interest rate rises every month since May, and yet inflation is not yet under control. How long does it take for these hikes to take effect? How do we measure the impact of rising interest rates on household spending, mortgage arrears, and the erosion of our buffers? And how vulnerable are we in a high-inflationary environment, and what do we need to be most
1: worried about? Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and buyer's agent mentor, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, author of Auction Ready, and co-host of Your First Home Buyer Guide.
2: And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker, recently ranked number five in Australia out of over 18,000 brokers in the annual MPA Top 100 Mortgage Broker Award. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of an appropriate and experienced professional.
0: We're joined today by Belinda Allen, a Senior Economist at the Commonwealth Bank. Belinda has extensive experience as a financial markets economist and currently works in the Institutional Banking and Markets Division of the ComBank. This division is responsible for managing the group's relationships with major corporate, institutional and government clients and providing a full range of capital raising, transactional and risk management products and services. But Belinda also hosts the ComBank Global Economics and Markets Update podcast, which provides great insights into the types of data or type of data and indices that bank economists have access to. Thank you so much for coming along today Belinda. We're really looking forward to this chat. Thanks so much for having me today. Belinda it's good
2: to have you on. I mean it must be interesting as an economist to um, see what's happening in the world. I mean it's always changing right so it's always interesting but in particular you know 2022 and you know the first probably global inflation challenge that Mm. maybe you've seen in your working career. I don't know but um it's obviously a significant challenge. So, I mean, what, obviously there's a lag effect that um, you know, the RBA is you know, on rapid fire um, at the moment and everyone's freaking out, And but we haven't really seen the impact of that. So, I mean, wh- wh- I guess what's your overall observation of where we're at in late 2022 and, and you know, when we should start to really start to see the impact of everything that's happened this year, I guess?
3: Yeah, thanks, Chris. So uh, there was a, there was a lot in that. We talked about kind of high inflation. <laughs> if we've seen it before in kind of our career, higher interest rates. And I think that's, that's a pretty interesting place to start, right? Australia is now seeing its first interest rate hiking cycle since 2010. So there's a significant amount of people who haven't seen it in their yep. career and also haven't experienced as a mortgage holder as well. So, On our calculations, there are about a million first home buyers since the last interest rate hiking cycle. So that's a lot. Mm. There's also been economists, not me. I have seen interest rate hiking cycles before, (laughs) but there's also been economists who are experiencing trying to analyze the economy and in effect, how it will impact on households for the first time in their career as well. And also then add to that high inflation. You know, we've got headline inflation at 7.3%. You know, say from the GST, we haven't seen that, you know, definitely in my career. And so there's just, there's so many different forces at play. And I think the fact that we haven't seen this situation before for a long period of time, it's actually really hard for us economists to know how long it might take for households to feel those higher interest rates and added to that, the complication of of high inflation as well. So, you know, when I went to university, we are always told those lags were around 18 months. Yep. (laughs) You know, that's what we were kind of told. That's based on history. But then you go, well, this history is different because we haven't had these set of unique circumstances before Then, as Veronica alluded to before, add into that the fact that we know households built up significant buffers during the COVID Mm, period because we couldn't spend anything, then this situation is just different. So for us, economists, we're heavily leaning on high-frequency data to give us an idea about how quickly households may react. And the reality is at the moment we haven't seen a meaningful change in consumer spending patterns. Yeah, yeah. We have a little bit, we have a little bit, but the pain is yet to be felt. But we are, though, seeing it in other economic data. So, for example, uh, we're recording this on the 8th of November. We just had the Westpac-Melbourne Institute Consumer Sentiment Survey yeah. that fell by 6.9%. Uh, and that's now, you know, the lo- it's lower than what we got to during the GFC, Mm. it's just a little bit higher than what we saw in the April 2020 lockdown period. And apart from that, you have to then go back to the 1990s recession Mm. to get a consumer sentiment reading that's been this week. We're we're in uncharted territories for a number of reasons, but consumers are feeling that it's going to get really hard from here because we're kind of forced to deal with higher interest rates higher rent if you're a renter let's not Mm. forget about that Mm. Mm. and also inflation is high we haven't experienced that before so it's just it's a lot of pain at once but then we can't forget the good stuff you know we have a very tight labor market we have accumulated household savings so that should help buffer it but that means it's just harder to kind of work out when will we start to feel the impact of those higher interest rates? And we also know that during COVID, we had a whole lot of people take out fixed rate mortgages. So they're yet to feel the impact of higher interest rates. So only those people with a variable rate mortgage Mm. have felt higher interest rates. And we know there's a lag between when interest rates go up, mortgage repayments here at CBA, it's on average three months. Yeah. So then... If you think back to three months ago, that was August. People have only felt the May, June, July rate hike, so 125 basis points, Yeah. starting to now feel the August one, let alone September, October and now November. So it's yeah. really going to be a 2023 story, I think, when we will start to significantly see how households are dealing with these higher interest rates coupled then with the roll-off of fixed-rate mortgages and still wearing the brunt of higher inflation. So that was it was a very long-winded answer to that to that first question. Is your,
2: is your view on inflation like it's the genie out of the, like, the bottle? You know, like it's – I remember when I was in the UK back in 2008, I've said this on the podcast probably many times. Um, <laughs> lot, we all say our same stories multiple times. Um, but I, rates went to zero when I was in a financial advisor over there and I was like, oh, God, zero rates. Zero. like. This is in the the <laughs> credit crisis they called it over there the global credit crunch and you know someone said to me five years later would rates be zero I say no chance right but then they were and then but they actually was zero for fifteen years and then you had like mm. quantitative easing of you know massive with COVID and you know massive stimulus programs and you know we just kept pumping money onto the the world economies and and freeing up um, people to invest money and don't leave money in the bank invest it and so. Mm. Do you think we're paying, we're finally, you know, going to pay the price for, for, I guess, missing out on all the hard times over the last 15 years, which we potentially should have, but we didn't because we just pounded money into the system to get ourselves through?
3: So, I think that's a a really good question. I think it comes down to what you think are the fundamental drivers of inflation. So, Mm. kind of inflation had been low globally leading up to the pandemic, you know, central banks were missing on their inflation target in most countries. So despite very low interest rates, despite quantitative easing uh, by central banks, and, you know, there are a couple of different thought processes around that. One is, uh, you know, we're just in a a period where there was too much savings, not enough investment. Mm. The other kind of, I think, added element to that is fiscal policy was too tight. So particularly after the global financial crisis and even the European debt sovereign crisis in 2012-2013, governments in advanced economies really tried to get their budgets back on track. There was this whole view, you know, debt and deficit bad, let's get back to surplus. Mm. So the fact that they were trying to do that really also slowed down aggregate demand and inflation was low. Come the pandemic central banks and governments went all in, right? You know, they cut interest rates to zero. They did QE. uh, There were, you know, government packages uh, to help everyone. So you just had, I think, for the first time in decades, monetary policy and fiscal policy working together. And it worked, right? You know, the recovery Mm. from COVID was swift. So you had a huge lift in demand because all of a sudden people had more money. Added to that, supply chain disruptions. Mm. So you kind of had two drivers of inflation, supply issues and a huge lift in demand. That's just proved harder to rein in. So supply chain disruptions are easing slowly our share of wallets changing. So, during the pandemic, we spent a whole lot more on goods. You know, we all had to deck out our home offices and to effectively work and learn from home, kind of. So, we spent a whole lot more on goods at a time where supply of goods was weak. So, we're starting to shift our spending back to services. I'm sure we've all been on holidays in recent months because we hadn't taken one in a couple of years. So, central banks are, are confident that if they slow demand they'll slow inflation but i think it is proving stickier than what a lot of central banks thought particularly when it gets into wages growth so that wage price spiral is something that central banks particularly in the u.s and maybe to some extent the uk eurozone and new zealand is they don't want that lifting inflation to see wages growth lift up because then business try to recoup higher wages through charging higher prices and you just get this awful spiral. So that's, I think, the concern that central banks are really trying to lean against and that's why it could prove harder to kind of get inflation down if you do have that wage price spiral. And I think that's why some central banks offshore, particularly UK, US, are so adamant that they're going to pretty much tip their economies into recession to cool inflation because if you don't, long-term consequences uh, are worse. It might be different in Australia, which we can touch on, but I think that that's a challenge at the moment is, is how do you, in effect, slow inflation and slow the economy uh, but not kind of really make it that that bad. You know, so it's, it's going to be
0: hard. It's interesting all of this is so fascinating mm. because, like you said earlier, uncharted territory, and you're dealing with, mm. you know, and and we see it in, in a in a it's a similar thing on a smaller scale in in property, right? So a sales agent who's only ever known a good market, oh, yeah. only knows how to sell in a good market, is absolutely heads are spinning, don't know what to do in a slow market, um, and you know, vice versa, the, the those that know how to do it tough, you know, they don't really know how to make take the benefit mm. in, in a good market sometimes, um, so. I wonder how much of the rule books need to be thrown out because if, if this is constant sort of barrage of, of unprecedented, that's the word of 2020, <laughs> wasn't it? You know, <laughs> pivot. Um, all the things that it's like, aren't we used to it now? Aren't we used to the fact that all the old, um, the ways in which you do cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, every everything that you do would result in a certain thing and your planning and your fiscal policy and all this sort of stuff would result in certain things. And now we're all, we're all sitting here thinking, hang on a minute, it's not, playing out as planned. And one of the things that really sort of struck me as you were talking earlier about um, you know consumer sentiment being at all you know a low mm. like 1990s recession and I thought part of that potentially could be um media. You know they're like social media for starters, it, the proliferation of information and opinion in the current um environment also the news cycles and and just what basically um you know the sensationalism of headlines and journalists Coming away, I guess, from proper journalism and and not being funded to be proper journalists, much more in terms of sensationalism and clickbait, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just the world as it is today. Therefore, we're all reacting a hell of a lot faster to everything. But weirdly enough, we're not reacting to some of the things we want to be, you want us to react to, or the the economist, Mm. the uh, RBA, for example, wants us to react to. But also, partly with Interest rate rises and using that as a lever to try to control inflation, you're only really hitting households that have a mortgage. Yep. And so, that not that just one of the fundamental weaknesses of that as, as a lever? That's the only one we've got, though. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's, so, it's a
3: blunt instrument, that's for sure. So, if you think about it, a third of Australians have a mortgage, a third rent, and a third own outright. So, you are yeah. in a way relying. On that proportion of the population of, yeah, <laughs> that has a mortgage. But then if you think about it, it will flow through because, you know, we are seeing rents increase. Yeah. So you will see, you know, that side of the market uh, start to slow as well. But it is the only instrument we got to really, I guess, help control inflation. But I think what we're also looking at at this point in time, is kind of going back to why we got into this place because we want policy to work together. So we saw the budget to just two week, over two weeks ago now. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that is starting to work together with monetary policy. So it's not adding to demand in the economy. So that will help. But I think you point back to throwing the old rule book out, it just it just reminds us that human behavior constantly changes and so does mm. our reaction function. So, you know, one of the biggest puzzles we got in the current cycle is we know everyone saved more during the pandemic. We all built up these mm. buffers. We like them. I like being ahead of mm. my mortgage. So do yeah. I. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole thing is one of the the, the questions we have is Will consumers, you know, moderate spending to maintain those buffers yeah, yeah. or will we draw mm-hmm. them down because, you know what, well, we like to yeah. spend money? That's, I think that's yeah. a really hard question to answer at the moment because we haven't been in this position before. So understanding the dynamics around that human behaviour and what choices they'll make uh, in this current environment, which we haven't faced before, is actually a really big forecasting
2: challenge for us. Especially mm. for the last few years, you haven't been able to go enjoy yourself, right? Exactly. Because you've been in lockdown, you can't travel, and then yep. all of a sudden you get a ticket, you're finally free. But actually, <laughs> you can you please stop spending because we need to slow the economy down. Um, yeah. And it's like people are like, well, no, I'm not going. I've just been, you know, they've I've been, been waiting for, two years. for this
3: holiday, yeah. right? So I mean, we can even see. So just talking before about using uh, CBA's internally generated data, when we look at uh, card spend data. Uh, Mm. at a highly aggregated, anonymized level, one of the areas that has been strong has been recreation spend. And we think that is Australians travelling because they haven't been able to do so. We're seeing a slowdown in areas like food, eating and drinking out, but not recreation. So I think it Mm. is that pent-up demand for holidays that may have been booked during COVID, that are now just being taken that's kind of keeping some parts of consumer spending elevated. But, you know, we're we're kind of working out what's the tipping point if we look at kind of like forward bookings for holidays like, you know air tickets travel agents that's starting to come off so it it may look like a lot of that's passed like everyone's gone and enjoyed the european summer not me but other people
2: yeah yeah
3: you know it just it may start to get rained back in and and one part of the sentiment release we just got out earlier was there was a survey about to consumers about you know are you going to cut down your spending this christmas and more people than normal said yes yeah so i think that will be a big telling point is what does Christmas look like? What does the new year look like? And that will be really important answers when we talk about, you know, will the RBA continue to hike next year or have they done enough?
2: Yeah, I mean, when you say (laughs) European holidays, I was just reflecting. um, (laughs) I was in Europe and I was uh, in the UK and I put the TV on a few times, even though it's not a great idea on holidays, but I like reading like you know, I used to live in the UK. I want to see what's happening in the news. You know, I don't mind UK too. It's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, and it was so dire. But mm. I mean, it's always it was always so dire when I was there. To be honest, because I was there seven to eleven, which was the credit crisis, yeah. and and you know, then also talking to people on the street and like catching up with friends, and everyone was going on about the electricity and gas prices going through the roof. Mm. Like it was their favorite. Do you know why? You know, it's going down to a thousand pounds a quarter or something like this. Mm
3: it's a huge you
2: know, amount huge yeah and um but then i was also watching what the you know the government jobs were doing um mm. and we had buses are on strike mm. trains were on strike and so that wage spiral was absolutely happening yeah. because people were striking and and people were saying well you know i need a pay rise it's 10 percent inflation this year and we're forecasting 10 percent next year so that's a 20 percent increase to my costs but i'm getting and and sal- salaries are I feel like a lot lower in somewhere like the UK. Like people are running it pretty Mm. tight. I think, you know, minimum wages and I know definitely in the US it can be like that, right? Like people are, you know, it's so, do you think that the wage spiral that maybe is going to be a bit more prolific in the UK and US, um, maybe our higher salaries and our higher minimums is, you know, and potentially our cutback in spending, it's not going to potentially get out of control here as yeah. potentially might over there? I don't know. What's your thoughts? Yeah,
3: so I think wages growth is probably the, one of the, the key answers to working out if we'll see as higher interest rates in Australia as we will offshore. So Australia has high inflation mm. with 7.3% for the, the year to September, US nine-ish, UK double digits. It's, it's yep. a pretty big difference there. But one of the big differences in Australia is we haven't seen a significant lift in well, services inflation. So primarily that's driven by wage costs. So in Australia, wages growth still quite contained. We actually get data uh, next week on that. We're expecting still sub-3% wages growth. And it comes down to our wage setting mechanisms in Australia. So 40% of the wage bills determined by enterprise bargaining agreements. So they're mm. generally set over three years. So it's hard for 40% of our wage bill to change quickly Mm. to market Mm. conditions. Mm. So that can be problematic because for those people, you're not keeping pace with inflation, but then also it's helping us not have that wage price spiral. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah.
3: So it's a real tricky situation. (laughs) We've seen the minimum wage lift. We saw that announced in June, 5.1% for our low-income earners. So, that's positive. And then for the remainder of the wage bill, if you're on an individual contract, we have seen some increases, but still not what you would expect given the tightness in the labour market. So, wages growth is just not responding to the tighter Mm. labour market. There are some institutional reasons for that. Uh, So, that should help us not have that wage price spiral like we're seeing offshore. So it should mean the RBA has less to do here. Yeah, that's our so that's current chicken, thinking.
2: Chicken and egg a little bit though, because like it is. It's like <laughs> yeah. if you are. I don't know an which employer, is which. Yeah, an employer, like if someone's saying to me, "Okay, yeah, it's low unemployment, but do I really need you? Like, do I really need to hire you? Or do I really need to pay more? You know, if if I know my future demand isn't as certain because mm. of the overall economy and. Do I really want to go and invest in my business and hire more staff right now, or do I want to sort of be a bit more conservative and consolidate? And so, if you stop the business investment into staff, then that will the employer will ask for more money, and they're like, "Well, actually, you know what? There's not actually any jobs out there. We're not." And is is it? Do you think that that's what they're trying to do? That's the benefit of tipping an economy into recession is you almost stop, you know, people hiring, which you know, yeah, you're not going to get wage increases, but you also might lose your job. Um, Yeah. So and I think in the year, yeah, is that sort of what you yeah, think? So
3: yeah, so I think that's definitely a part of it. So the labour market was incredibly hot the first half of 2022. Like you couldn't get new staff if you wanted to yeah, or yeah. you were paying overs to retain yeah. your staff. So there definitely yeah. was a period when the, you know, post the Delta wave and kind of the Omicron wave didn't, didn't really impact that too much at the start of 2022 when the Australian economy was running hot Pre-RBA rate hikes, where we did see cases of really strong, uh, I guess, antidotal feedback on wages growth. Yeah. To me, that seems to be waning a little bit. And I think there are two reasons for that. Obviously, as you were saying, Chris, businesses are now looking forward maybe to a softer period in 2023, And then, of course, the other factor is we've had an increase in labour supply because we've had a return of net overseas migrants. Yeah. So they've actually come back stronger than what I think everyone thought. So you've just kind of Mm. changed the dial a little bit on the demand side but also the supply side. And in Australia, our participation rate, so that's a number of people of working age who are either looking for work or working, uh, is at a really high level, latest figures, mm. 66.6% above where it was pre-COVID. In countries like the UK and the US, the levels are still well below what they were pre-COVID. So, their participation rates are lower. So, their supply of labour has been constrained, which is added to wages growth over there. It's actually helped right. contain wages growth here. So, there's just a number of different factors, which I think should mean in Australia a lower lift in the cash rate compared to offshore, a lower lift in the unemployment rate and not as a bigger slowdown in economic growth. I sound like Goldilocks right now, but that is, yeah. kind, of, <laughs> that is kind of the central scenario in Australia is that we will hopefully get out of this in a better situation than some of our global peers.
0: One of the things that never occurred to me until you were just talking then, was what is the impact of immigration, Mm. so population growth through um, skilled workers, on inflation?
3: Yeah. Do they contribute to it? Well, I guess it's the same as they contribute Mm. to economic growth because they come here, they want housing, they want food, so they add to demand, but at the same time they help our labour supply. So it's kind of, Mm. in a way, it can net out and I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're kind of thinking about over the next uh, couple of years is there'll be probably two main impacts from the return of net overseas migration. It's going to impact housing because we've already mm. got very low residential vacancy rates in Australia. Rents yeah. are already rising, so there'll be challenges yeah. around that. But at yeah. the same time, we know there's chronic labour shortages, particularly in, you know, some fields. So it will help alleviate mm-hmm. that and help some businesses expand. Uh, so I think that's kind of the two things that we're thinking about uh, in in relation to migration. If you think to inflation, th- there's been a few main drivers why we've got high inflation in Australia. Food, you know, because we've seen floods, disruptions yep. around mm. that. Uh, petrol was a big one because of the war in the Ukraine, mm. huge increase in oil prices and the cost of building a new home. So any people out there who have renovated recently, if they could get a builder, they would charge at least 20% more than they would have been a few yeah. years ago. So, there yeah. were kind of the three main drivers of inflation. Uh, some of that was government policy-led because of home builder. You saw a huge amount of demand at once as well as mm. supply chain disruptions around materials. So, that will start to come down. We have seen housing construction and building approvals retreat a little bit. So, we do think we're kind of maybe past the worst of that. That Sorry. they agree clearly.
2: And dog dogs Wait. actually dropped in price a lot recently because they went up through inflation um, in COVID well, as well. I
3: don't know if you've ever if you bought dog food recently, but definitely the price of that has <laughs> increased. I've got a very hungry Labrador here, and I have noticed uh, the cost of buying her food's gone from at least four dollars a tin to five dollars fifty a tin. So that's <laughs> yeah. meat prices anyway. Yeah. So they're kind. You of Should get her on the um,
2: <laughs> just get her on the biscuits. The biscuits uh, you can get more value for money there, and. Um, <laughs> overall good for their waistline um but i think i was just equity markets right you say so you look at equity markets right institutional no they just they oh you don't no no no
3: can't, okay. can't comment on equities
2: <laughs> well i mean just <laughs> as a general sort of <laughs> observation they're staying stubbornly high right you would think global inflation uh massive increase in interest rates the cost to consumers to governments to corporations right to their um their interest bills right Mm. you would think that um, uh, the forecast for companies is pretty dire and you would think you would see um, future company profits are going to be smaller and then, you know, revaluation of companies. But when you look at the stock markets around the world, they're down like, you know, 5%, 10%, right? Like we're not in any sort of major crash. And I I, I think, you know, when you look at where the money is, right, people are sort of betting that things are going to be okay, right? The economies are still going to be... Do you you think that that sort of story plays out or do you think that, yeah?
3: So, I mean, we did see a lot of volatility in financial markets around the the start of the tightening by central banks globally and we have seen, you know, continued weakness come through because we have seen markets, I guess, reprice and continue to lift expectations of how high interest rates are going to have to go. So bond yields have risen the other big thing that we've seen is the US dollar strengthen. So the US dollar has risen significantly. Mm. Generally in that environment you see currencies that are considered riskier or maybe more leveraged to commodities like the Australian dollar fall. So US dollar strengthened, Aussie dollar f- has fallen. So we have seen financial markets react. I think there is still a lot of uncertainty about how central banks are going to navigate this high inflation, higher interest rates, slower growth environment over the next six months. Yeah. And just where cash rates, particularly in the US, will land. I think there's still some uncertainty about that. And just uh, how, how high they're willing to go and how deep their economies will slow as a result and I think the other big uncertainty at the moment that hasn't helped financial markets is what's happening in China so if there's one other big uncertainty out there it's how and when China will loosen it's what they call their dynamic clearing policy their zero COVID strategy so they're still aiming for no COVID in China really one of the only countries to still hang on to that. So, they're still going through periodic lockdowns, mass testing. So, their economy has been really underperforming. There was some hope that they would start to loosen that policy now. Uh, But it looks like that may not happen until after some important policy meetings in March next year. So, that's kind of weighed on markets as well, as well as just how this Higher interest rates, higher inflation stories going to play out. So there's just been so many different, Mm. I guess, elements at play in financial markets uh, that have just meant that we've seen a lot of uncertainty this year.
1: I'm on a personal mission to help more people make better property decisions, and you can find out all about what I'm working on at veronicamorgan.com.au. And there you'll find resources for first home buyers, details about my Buyer's Agent Mentoring Program, access to suburb help for investors, or if you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs, or lower North Shore, you can connect with my team at Good Deeds Property Buyers. And if you'd like a 30% discount plus free postage for my book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless, and yes, I'm a potty mouth, use the code ELEPHANT at the checkout, bronicamorgan.com.au. If you're
2: thinking about buying your first home, upgrading to a new one, or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, we would love to carefully guide you through this journey and importantly, get the finance right. Please reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au.
1: Don't forget that you can download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au One thing we haven't talked about is climate yes. change.
0: And, you know, this is seems to be coming much more on the agenda across the board, right? And, you know, there's a big school of thought that economic growth and climate change go hand yeah. in hand um, in
3: a negative yeah. way,
0: right? So So and this is only something I'm starting to sort of read about myself, so I'm really not up on it enough to comment too much other than ask the question, really. But, but what sort of work yeah. are you doing or what, what are the, the thoughts around really how long can we continue to grow and and do we have to redefine what is termed or what is accepted as as good levels of economic growth in light of the fact we're basically – destroying the planet yeah
3: so that's a that's a really great question Veronica. so maybe just to give you an idea about what the research team here at cba is doing we actually now have uh expanded the research that we do so we do a lot more research on what we call sustainable economics so looking really at that Mm. main idea about how we do continue to grow and in in effect the resources that you need in effect for per unit of economic growth. So that's been historically high. It's been historically very high in Australia just because of the composition of our economy. So you really want to improve that and you can do that through kind of reusing, recycling this whole idea about a circular economy.
0: The donut economy. Yeah, the
3: donut economy. So taking into account more than just GDP growth, which is a very narrow Mm -hmm. measurement of economic growth. But also just finding ways that you can improve your growth by reusing more items, recycling, reducing your carbon emissions, things like that. So, you know, that whole idea about circular economies growing bigger. But then also when you look at the investment that needs to take place to meet the goals of reducing carbon emissions is very large and requires a lot of natural resources. Now, Australia has some of them, mm. like lithium, light nickel, mm. like copper, things that you might need in electric vehicle batteries and things like that. But you need a lot of investment dollars and mm. that is challenging to make that investment at a time where we already have capacity constraints and high inflation mm. and well, a war I'll in the Ukraine. So, then, yeah. you know, there's never an easy answer, but I think there are, more people in more industries focus on this, which is only a good thing.
0: We started this this conversation, you know, talking about interest rate yes. rise and how long it's going to take to yes. have a meaningful impact, and also the impact on consumer confidence of just negative me, you know, the, the the media story, I guess, around this. What interests me, and I and I did marketing at uni way back when, and and it's always sort of bothered me this this. Um, drive of marketers to create demand for products that were never existed in the first place. I mean, you know, like we used to cook our own cookies, mm. right? We used to cook, bake our own cookies. And then um, a clever biscuit manufacturer said, oh, I don't know, I can make a bunch of these at scale, put them in, in packets and sell them, et cetera. And then you get one packet of biscuits broken down into little tiny packets of, you know, daily portions for the kids to go to preschool. And mm. you know what I mean? It, it's just this marketing goes mad. It creates more landfill. It gets, it's generating demand for stuff that we don't really need. Um, You could have a packet of biscuits and break it into small containers if you wanted to, but no, it's all marketed at the the convenience. That's just one example of so many things in our lives that has had a, I think, a negative impact. Just in a lot in a lot of ways but obviously it does have a knock-on effect in the climate Mm. right um so there's actually you know so we talk about the massive investment to create circular economies and um and reuse and recycle and and put things back into the into the production rather than into the ground um or into landfill but then culturally we've got a problem too we're too affluent we're basically being killed by affluence right it's
3: it's an interesting point we've changed the nature of our economy to be a services oriented economy so all those things that are saving us time through neatly Mm. portioned biscuits mean we now have (laughs) more i guess time and money to spend on doing other things uh, so yeah. the affluence has created this services economy. You know, you might have a cleaner, you might have a dog walker, get your shirts dry cleaned, all yeah. those things. So we've created an economy because of that. That's employed a lot of people. So it is. I guess. I think. I think what you're trying to get at maybe is how much is enough. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I think it's about then as economics always is, it's about the incentives to try to change behaviour. So what what mm. do we want to do around climate change? What are the incentives to do that and how are we going to act? So pricing signals, you know, government mandates, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, are things that if we get, you know, really serious about this, uh, you know, things that might have to, might have to occur like putting a mm. price on carbon you know what which we have seen yep. and 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 all those programs so i think we are getting there slowly if you just think about everything that's happened over the last few years and we continue to mm. see a lot of significant change by private companies in in making yeah. yep. you know inroads into this uh so even though you know for for many years we haven't seen such big Wholesale changes. We do know a lot of companies have made some, some pretty good inroads into improving sustainability practices, biodiversity practices. Uh, so that can, you know, there are, there are things happening. Uh, but obviously that there's just so much, so much more inroads to come and what our economy looks like through it, through that is going to be really interesting given, you know, we have, a lot of carbon emissions uh, because of agriculture, because of the material sector and also transportation because we are so far from everyone else. So mm. there's going to be some really interesting challenges and opportunities for Australia based on that.
2: On the um, sort of arrears front, I think mm. we're, back, we're back to more sort of property, Yeah. how, um, how you know, a level one thinking with property and it has happened, you know, multiple times I'll get a client and they'll be like, oh, you know, interest rates are going up. That means people are going to go into a That means people are going to fire sale, right? And you're going to see all these listings on the market. And, um, yeah, this is not what happens, right? People don't, you know, know that there, it's only a small portion. They're yeah. really struggling. They've got the buffers, et cetera. So what are CBA sort of seeing? And what are you are you sort of seeing any, like, hots? It's not going to be across the whole board, right? There'll be certain pockets that are more likely to be a bit more um, – you know, likely to have a problem Vulnerable. with you know arrears. Um, so, what is CBA saying, and how bad do you, you expect it to get if rates do stay high mm-hmm. for you know three to four years? Like, you yeah. know, I think what when I'm having a conversation with clients, I say, look, let's plan for worst case. If best case happens and rates stabilise and rates you're gonna end up cutting rates because of a recession, well, you're going to get borrowing capacity increases. Yeah. You're going to get, and they'll probably be great for property prices, but. You know, what you want to do is protect yourself at worst case. So how's CBA thinking through, you know, the arrears problem? And from, you know, while you might not work in this space, do you see any sort of COVID-like, you know, policy start to come across the banks where they start offering payment holidays and, you know, and things outside traditional responsible lending to help, um, you know, problem hotspots? Yeah. You know, and so what are you seeing?
3: So, there's some really great questions. So, I'll probably just start with with a couple of things. Our forecast for the cash rate is one more rate hike by the Reserve Bank in December. So, that would take the cash rate to 3.1%. We then have them on hold for most of 2023. Right. The risk is they do have to do more, a slightly higher terminal cash rate, but we're not forecasting a significant amount of more tightening to come just because we see the consumer slowing uh, quite a bit in 2023 and the fact that we have, we don't have that wages growth issue here and we expect yep. inflation to come down. So that's kind of the first thing. We don't have interest rates going too much higher. We also don't have a material impact on the labour market forecast either. So the unemployment rate is currently 3.5%. We have a drifting, you know, closer to 4.5% by the end of 2023. So that historically is still a relatively low unemployment rate. So we've got a lower peak cash rate than what financial markets are pricing in and, you know, what some other forecasters are pricing in. We've got a lift in the unemployment rate to a still low level. So that's quite a reasonable economic environment. So because of that, you wouldn't expect to see too much of a pickup in arrears if that labour market stays yeah. on track. So that that's kind of the first thing I'd say. The second thing is I don't have any insight as to that arrears data. I only see a very select yeah. amount of data. But arrears continue to be much lower than what they were at the height of COVID. So hardship oh. arrangements have come down since national lockdown, and savings are still very high. So, what we do think, and, you know, the Reserve Bank has said this as well, it's really going to be a small proportion of people who are maybe newer borrowers, more Mm -hmm. recent borrowers, who really, you know, borrowed at capacity, that will be the most impacted from these high interest rates. On average, people are still well ahead on their mortgage. I think in the RBA Statement on Monetary Policy they released last week, they said around one and three-quarter years ahead on their mortgage. Now that has come down because obviously repayments and interest rates have come up, but it's still a pretty benign environment for things like distress sales and hardship arrangements and those types of issues so we do continue to think home prices will fall just because we're still going through the interest rate hiking cycle so they've fallen nationally about six and a half percent we do have them falling around 15 percent peak to trough so still some falls to come each capital city is kind of performing very differently at the moment So Sydney obviously fell first, fell the fastest. Brisbane is catching up pretty quickly. Uh, They've been falling pretty quickly. But we do have falls kind of levelling off towards the second half of next year because we've actually got the RBA cutting interest rates late next year. (laughs) Just because Um. we have that slowdown in the economy, that lift in the unemployment rate, that that should allow the RBA to kind of start to reduce the amount of tightening they put in the system this year, which is actually if you look at housing debt servicing costs as a share of income, they'll be back up to the peak we saw back in 2010, so when the cash rate was below
0: the 7%. Yeah. This is interesting because you know, I've got a bit of a theory on this that we're we're just not used to it. Like you said earlier, I mean, we've had Mm. over 10 years of interest rate falling um, and people that have got homes that have never experienced higher rates have always experienced them going down. And we have that recency bias too, that we think that only what's just recently happened will continue to happen. Um, But we'll all ultimately get used to, you know, the new environment, right? I mean, 20 years ago, we were all used to interest rates probably around 10% um, or a lot higher anyway. So, is is that the sort of opinion of, of the bank? Yeah. You know that will everyone just get over I it? I think
3: it, it the, the issue is since then there's been such a lift in the amount of debt we've taken on. So right, that's that's yes. been that the big mm. in effect levels change is that we are now mm. just spending much more of our income on debt servicing. That is it's not like it can go back to that level just because property prices have risen so much. You now need to borrow yeah. so much more uh, to buy a home. So, look, the cash rate's going to be higher than what it was during COVID. I mean, 0.1% was incredibly low, mm-hmm. you know, emergency levels. So we can't see it going back there, but it doesn't mean that it's going to stay at, you know, above 3% for a prolonged period of time. We are going to have economic cycles, The cash rate will move up and down. That's kind of, you know, what it has done historically. You know, the the unusual thing has been that we didn't have an interest rate hiking cycle for 12 years. That was the unusual thing. Mm. So I think we're going to have to go back to both monetary policy and fiscal policy kind of helping to manage the economic cycle. Uh, But that doesn't take away from the fact that I think over the coming few months everyone's going to really feel the material lifting interest rates we've seen since May and higher inflation as well. But not, yet. not everyone, not everyone. (laughs) But I think everyone's feeling higher inflation, uh, particularly Mm. rising rents are coming through. And what we do know, particularly if you're a a lower income earner, you spend way Mm. more of your wallet on those essential items which have risen the fastest. So, you know, there's yep. a lot of challenges around that. It's hard in a way to talk about the macro level because everyone does face such completely different circumstances, mm-hmm. but we do know, it. you know, for those people it, it will be a challenging time uh, and I think that's why you've started to hear just over recent weeks, just a little bit more chatter from the federal government on energy prices. It'll be really interesting yeah. just to see what they do kind of over the course of the next few months.
0: Yeah, well, that contributes to it mm. too, doesn't it? Contributes to inflation. I mean, I guess in, in the lower income earner uh, in segment of the population, then inflation itself is going to contribute to lower spending
3: well yeah so you you, you're spending but getting less for your money so what you know volume Mm. growth if you think about it that way yeah you can spend is actually going down and we've already seen that happen particularly for food Mm. and other household goods the 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 real spend or the volume spend has started to come off so it it is you know hard to kind of look at often you hear you know we spent x amount of dollars yes but you got less for your money yeah, 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 and also we've seen also, people trade down in terms of quality or brand as well. Yeah, so you've seen switches in relation to that.
0: Got it. And one of the, I guess, key data points you often hear, hear economists talking about is retail yes. spending. So, so, and obviously coming into Christmas, and we're recording this in November. We'll be actually releasing this after the next rate hike. that well, you've we'll just see predicted if I'm right. By the way, Gosh. so yeah. <laughs> we'll see you right. <laughs> um, that's that's a brave thing. Um, but with retail spending, it's one of those things that usually it's put out as a good thing for the economy. But, of course, if we have higher retail spending leading up to Christmas, it's probably not yeah. such a great thing in, in the higher infl- inflation rate environment. It, it, does it feel weird as an economist to be able to talk about the same thing and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not so great? I guess great?
3: That we, got, we get used to wearing those two different hats. I think it depends on, <laughs> you know, at the moment I think we, we want the economy and inflation to come down but not to the degree that the economy slows too much so the rba has really talked about recently about this narrow path to achieving that it is very Mm, narrow so kind of you want things to slow but not too much and just enough for the rba to be able to, to pause the cash rate with confidence that inflation will start to come down so i guess we want things to be okay not great but not bad just
2: okay. So, so Blenna, <laughs> we don't okay. want to grill you on this. Or, 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 or I'm asking you the question. But, you know, we, we did a podcast the, the full of forecast reports. And we did on the banks. Um, yeah, you know, we did on usual, you know, commentators in the property market. how They, like, make all these amazing forecasts and, you know, the next year you look back and yeah. everything's wrong, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's some serial sort of great forecasts out there, to be honest, and we sort of give them our gold star. But in the banks have kind of got it wrong for a long time around the property market, and in particular in COVID and um, you know, twenty percent falls and twenty percent up. You yeah, know? like it's it's a huge difference. If you base your decision on that, you sold your property, or you didn't enter the market, and you thought you you know you're two hundred grand worse off than you were. So, what's some of the learnings, I guess, that you know, as, as a as a team did sort of your you know CBA and just the banking industry take out of you know the that sort of situation and Do you do things differently now or do you think you're – what were some of your learnings? Yeah,
3: so, I mean, forecasting during COVID was obviously incredibly challenging because it was such an unknown environment and then, of course, you had added to that just such the rapid response from the RBA but also the federal government in terms of policies as well, I think. Mm. I think the lesson we've always got to learn is that interest rates are the primary driver of property prices, so, if interest rates are going up, property prices are more than likely to be going down and, and vice versa. It's incredibly tied mm. to the interest rate cycle broadly. Obviously, you're going to have differences yeah. to that if, you know, you're in – there's not a lot of stock on the market, et cetera, et cetera. And we know there's not a lot of stock on the market at the moment. So, I think, yeah. you know, that's the that's the lesson is the policy ro- response mm. is incredibly important uh, when you're forecasting.
2: Mm. Yeah, and mean even things like um, – yeah we do do whatever we takes i mean it's the druggy mm. um back when you were talking yeah. about the european debt cycle uh, crisis it was like you know when he came yeah. in and you know greece is going under and italy and portugal and spain and you know they come on in the ECB. we're going to do whatever it takes and that just, mm. and they literally yeah, did, they did and did you know, right. still exists you know yeah. and i think you know that's something when, you know, you look at some of the property bears out there, it's like, um, <laughs> you know, they're always like, oh, now finally we've got this D-Day and then bang, this, you know, There's new There's a thing policy happens.
3: response and I think because, yeah. you know, we're so, in a way, we're so tied to the property market as a society mm. and as a nation as well and we have to remember, so is, you know, you've got 55% of the economy's consumer spending and that's also tied to mm-hmm. wealth, so everything is linked right you can't in a way you can't forecast in a static environment because things are constantly changing you know Mm -hmm. and and i think that's where any policy responses are incredibly important because then it automatically changes the dialogue the consumer and then everything else based on that as well so i think I think that's probably the biggest lesson yeah. is you've got to understand the policy response, and if the policy response has changed, then you you may need to revisit your forecasts.
2: So policy response would be interest rate property changes. Property prices, yeah, yeah. And then we got so we got this. Um, let's say we we role play out your scenario, right? Twenty five basis points. They <laughs> hold. Yeah. Uh, property prices fall fifteen percent. Um, you know that has a wealth effect it has a you know we start to really slow down our economy maybe they start to reduce interest rates um do you think that another policy response would be to the APRA will step in and and you know lower the serviceability buffer like they did that to slow the market down when it was hot do you think that that's naturally something that we could see next year you know to boost borrowing capacities when you know they are so tight at the moment. Mm. Like it, it's it's we're talking thirty percent plus mm. reduction to borrowing capacities. Nah. Um, you know, client, and you know it's really hard for the first home buyer to be honest because, yeah, you know they've already they've been, they've, you know they do get a lot of knocks along the way. You know the market goes, you know they a bigger deposit and, um, you know and prices haven't fallen as much as borrowing capacities. You know, um, yeah. and so they are out there. You know they were ready to go but then their borrowing capacities are falling 30 percent and you know it's so do you think that that's gonna be something to really stimulate the market next year
3: yeah so i think i mean we've obviously got the rate cuts in our profile for the rba we we haven't looked at anything around the serviceability buffer at all that only got mm. changed october last year got lifted from you know 200 250 basis points mm. to 300 basis points not not sure about that but the the interest rate cuts from the rba you know would help you would expect to stabilize the property market that's certainly what we've got in our profile for property prices but anything beyond that i think i'm i'm really not not sure what else what else could be (laughs) could happen there's also of course in the federal budget you know continued help for first home buyers a commitment to want to build more houses as well so the supply angle we can't forget about uh, that that could also help so anything around freeing up land, lifting the amount of houses being built uh, will also play into it as well but in all honesty we'll probably need that with that lifting that overseas migration as well
0: yeah I mean and also that takes a while for that to it just, does. I mean- yeah, no that's quick fixes. Six months, yeah, six to nine months to buy, build each house if you've got supply chain problems and delays exactly. on, yeah. you know, lack of trades, et cetera, et cetera. So that's going to push that all out. It's so all interesting. It, it
3: is. What I should have said is I didn't bring my crystal ball in relation to yeah. that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what we got, got you for.
2: <laughs> and um, while we're here then on this end of the conversation, we've I mean, got a property Dumbo for us. or just It's uh, just a story about someone who's done something around property, like a learning that we could, take it doesn't have to be too serious it's more a case of probably the less serious the better to be honest um, <laughs>
3: no uh, real just, no real property stories from me unfortunately no um, doesn't
2: have to be you or a friend no or a not, colleague not, or, not
3: that i can really really think of um in all honesty i'll i will have to continue to to rack my brain on that but it's just interesting i think just to see you know, the the reaction, I think, to, to the higher interest rates at the moment and just to, mm. just to see how that's going to play through. But but unfortunately, no interesting property stories. Would love to hear one, though, if you do have one.
0: I'll give you oh, a, a Dumbo. Yeah. It, it's sort of a nice Dumbo, like as in a soft Dumbo. Um, my parents just sold their house that they've lived in for 54 years, right? So they've bought one house in their lives. They Well, they b- built it, house and wow. land package way back when, did a little extension sort of seven years after they bought it, and now they're, they're moving into the next phase of their life, which will be in uh, one of those retirement villages, right? And so I worked, I did vendor advisory with the, the agent, and it was really good, actually. I was really impressed with him. He was telling me that, um, you know, the biggest challenge is getting the pricing right. If you can get the pricing right, the buyers are out there. But get the pricing wrong, and it's really difficult to sell. It takes mm. a long time to get those vendors head in the right position. so I did I checked his his uh, appraisal and looked at the comparable sales. I was satisfied with the advice that he was giving. so we priced it to sell appropriately, right? We sold it within a week. Wow. Now he's had some properties on his books for up to ten weeks because the uh, vendors just will not meet the market Mm. so there's this perception in some cases that prices are falling because their high expectations weren't met but who's to say that their high expectations were ever realistic in the first place Mm. but um it is quite interesting one particular property that really was you know competing with my parents property um and we snaffled I think the strongest buyer in that price break is <laughs> because because we 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 had a very clear and and he, the agent just said oh my god I wish everyone understood the market like you do well that is my business so of course I understand it but um you know people don't realize that they're actually costing themselves money mm. and I get that not all agents are as smart as this guy as well I get that I was I wasn't uh, my mum had liked him which surprised me that i did to be quite frank i thought if she likes him i'm gonna think he's terrible but he was actually very good um and so i think that's the dumbo really is that people that want to sell there are buyers out there to give you an example the first open houses i think he said to me on average he was getting about 20 groups through each first open house and i said what do you get for subsequent open houses he said six or seven Mm. and i'm like we have to sell in a week then because your best buyer is coming through that week and you want that pressure in that week so it's just that that's a little dumbo for anyone mm. out there holding out for your big big price who's to say that was ever achievable mm. in the first place
2: i would say that's, that's um, in vain in the same vein as uh, something we're saying. so um you know often when we get clients come to us we are sort of you know tell us about your properties and you know nothing uh not judgmental a lot of them are duds right you know the reality <laughs> is most properties in the market are duds right and you know it's more a case of helping them understand borrowing capacity, helping understand where their life's going, helping them reposition and restructure. And often it's it's time to sell some things, right? Because there's an opportunity cost building. And I think that's just, I think people are naturally going more to, I don't want to feel that pain of that loss aversion. I don't want to sell something for what I could have sold it for last year, but not even that. I don't want to sell it for what I paid five years ago and maybe lose some Mm -hmm. money when really the opportunity is to be in the market to buy right now right and so yes you're not selling that well but most of the time people are spending more than what they're selling and you know it's actually getting better market exposure into better assets and it's actually not a bad time to be doing that so i'd say you know now's the time to be dealing with the pain and then getting restructuring into better assets so when the market does recover you, you've got better assets growing for you and you're buying better and i would say that's just the issue now deal with if you. The key thing is with borrowing capacity so tight at the moment, mm. don't rush to sell and then go, oh, can I get finance? Mm. <laughs> it's like figure out how much you can really borrow. Figure out what are you going to buy. Make sure that that's achievable rather than you're rushing yourself and then also picking the right agent, Ronica. We um, had a client last week where, um, yeah, absolutely it was the wrong agent and you know, but switching agents and all of a sudden things might sell. It hasn't sold yet but it's yeah. highly likely. And so... That's the other thing is if, if, if the agent's not doing the job, get out fast, go somewhere else um, because, you know, you're missing the opportunity of, of buying in better marketing conditions assuming you can find something quality. That's the, the challenge. So um, thanks so much for coming on, Belinda. There's so much we can cover today. I know. I just thank it's, you. It's uh, so important for people in they want to know the macro story but they also want to get it, you know, digested down to, you know, their, their current situation. So thank you so much.
1: If you have a question that you'd like us to answer in an upcoming Q&A episode, you can send us a voicemail or written question via the website, theelephantintheroom.com.au, or you can email us directly at questions at the elephant in the If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review five stars would be great. I know that sounds a bit cringy, but we have it on good authority that every review helps make it easier for other people to find out about us and hear what our amazing guests have to say.